0: Well, welcome to our broadcast today to the wonderful Words of Life, where we're going to be studying the Word of God. We'll be and have been in the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. Uh, Today we're going to be in chapter 3. And uh, this is a very important chapter. It uh, begins a a new subject uh, concerning the superiority of Christ over Moses. Now, in the last two chapters, we looked at Christ's superiority over the prophets, and we looked at Christ's superiority over the angels. And so, today in our session, we're going to be looking at Christ's superiority over Moses. And so, this is a very uh, important chapter. It also includes uh, Paul's danger and warning of unbelief. So uh, this is a very, very important chapter. Uh, We learned that uh, it was not Jesus that took upon him the nature of angels, but he took upon himself the form of a servant and he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. So when Paul stated that Jesus did not take upon himself the nature of angels, he implied that Jesus Christ was never an angel to begin with. If he were an angel at one time, this would also imply that Jesus was a created being and not the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. So I think this is a very important doctrinal point. And for people to believe that Jesus was at one time a created angel uh, totally contradicts New Testament scripture. And it is blasphemy and heresy. And of course, you know, this type of uh, false teaching is worthy of condemnation. So we're going to be in chapter three today. And like I said before, Paul is going to assert Christ's superiority over Moses, who was the giver of the law. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus says that I have come to fulfill the law. So all of the law pointing toward uh, Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus came just like God said he would. Uh, the seed of woman that is going to crush the authority of Satan. He came also to fulfill all that was in the law concerning righteousness. Amen. Praise God for that. So we have to understand also that uh, the Hebrews and of course, this uh, this chapter goes all the way up to our day, that there are many people in the world that live a high moral life but they've never considered humbling themselves uh, to Christ. They never uh, consider that to be something that they would need to do in order to get into heaven. In other words, they, were, they have been and are trusting in their own works. Uh, there are many Jews who never considered it vital to accept Jesus as their Savior and Messiah, but rather they were trusting in their own works of righteousness. In other words, the keeping of the law. And they felt like that this and feel like today that this is all that's necessary to be accepted by God. But Paul said this to the Roman church. He said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. Now, when he said the wages of sin is death, he's talking about not just physical death, but also spiritual death. And of course, the book of Romans teaches us that complete salvation, it only comes through the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that there's no other way to come to the Father and be accepted into his family but through uh, the work of Christ. So uh, we're gaining to that point, and we're also uh we'll begin in chapter one, but before we do that I want to hear uh let's hear from the Psalmist. Notice what he says. He says, I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be above all the earth. Well, let's go ahead and do that right now. Heavenly Father, we bless the name of Jesus, and we praise you forever and ever. Lord, you are good, and your mercy is unto all generations. And so, Father, I thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit, our teacher and our guide. Direct our hearts today, Father, in your word. And Lord, we'll give you thanks and praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, let's go ahead and begin Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, verses 1 through 6. Now, this is the first part of this chapter, and this is Paul's uh, stating Christ's superiority over Moses. Verse 1 now. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So when Paul says, wherefore, holy brethren, uh, he's t- speaking of in light of what Paul has presented concerning the superiority of Christ over the angels. It was the angels that brought to the Jews the word of the Lord. We will see that many times, and we have seen that many times in the Old Testament. But what we realize now is that the one who originated the word is greater than the one who delivered or or gave the word uh, to the Old Testament Uh, Saints of God. Amen. And I think that's very important. And then Paul goes on and says, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession or of our confession. The thing that we profess, the thing that we confess, we confess Jesus Christ as our Savior and as Lord and as our Lord. Uh, When Paul said this, consider the apostle and high priest. He's speaking, first of all that Jesus held all of the five ministry positions in the church of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. You know, he was, he is being called now the apostle. Uh, the Jews recognized Jesus as a prophet. Uh, he did go about uh, preaching the kingdom of God as an evangelist. He was the pastor member shepherd. He's also a teacher. Uh, the Hebrews, the Jews, uh they, uh, receive Jesus as teacher. They would call him master. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. In verse 2, he says, He was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. So this is the same analogy that uh, Paul used in the two previous chapters, speaking of Christ's superiority over the prophets and over the angels. And so he says here that the house that is built does not receive more glory and honor than the one who built the house. And so we know from Scripture that our Father in heaven is the architect of redemption and that uh, Jesus Christ is the builder of redemption. redemption. And and Paul uses the terms Jesus as the son is the one who built the house. So all Moses did was to show the Israelites he received the law and he took the law and he showed the Israelites how to get into the house. But we're going to find out that uh, that they failed in believing all things that God had said. But now Paul also says here that but that he that built all things is God. And of course, Paul in Hebrews chapter one attributes the building of all things to Christ. Notice in chapter one, verse two, he says he made the worlds. And in verse eight, he quotes of Old Testament verse and attributes it to Christ by saying, thy throne, O God, will last forever. And in verse 10, it says, and you laid the foundation of the earth. So all these attributes, uh, Paul affixes to the Lord Jesus himself. Now, verse five, and Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant. That's very important as a servant for a testimony Of those things which were to be spoken after the NIV translation says that Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. Amen. Verse six. But Christ as a son or the son, I like to put it that way. But Christ as the son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So what Paul has done here is he mentions Moses as being a servant in the house that God built. And he uh, Paul specifically mentions Christ as the one who built the house. Notice the comparison between Christ and Moses. Christ the builder of the house and Moses the servant of the house which God built. Amen. And of course, you know, once again, we have in Hebrews chapter one, verses two and three, we have Paul speaking of Christ that in hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So we see the um, the deity of Christ, the fact that he has existed throughout eternity, going all the way back to eternity past and all the way ahead to eternity future, you know, looking that in a time frame. Moses had a beginning. He was born. But Moses had no presence in eternity past. Christ, who is not a created being, who is God, the second person of the Trinity, his presence spans throughout eternity. Amen. So I think that's a very important point to make. But notice again, (coughs) excuse me. Uh, in Verse six, it says whose house we are. If we hold fast, the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm unto the end. I want us to look at this statement here. If we hold fast, because according to Robertson now, he says that we are God's house. If we do not play the traitor in desert, that's really what this term hold fast means. It means holding fast to Christ, keeping a grip upon him, keeping a grip upon his word, not allowing our grip to be loosened through sin, through being distracted or anything like that. If we turn away from Christ, then what we are is we are a traitor and we are a deserter. Remember that we as believers in Christ Jesus, we're a part of the army of the Lord. And if we forsake that army and if we go AWOL, then we become traitors uh, to his person and to his plan. And notice that we are to hold fast, firm unto the end. We are to remain faithful. We are to remain firm, stable. We are to continue to trust in Christ every day. The fact that he will never leave us or forsake us. And if we do these things, then we will remain a part of his household. Amen. A part of his family. Amen. So that's through six uh the first six verses. Now this second section is going to take us through uh, the rest of the chapter, and I've entitled this section The Danger of Unbelief. Now, this is also one of the major warnings in the book of Hebrews uh, to the Hebrew Christians, but also to us in our day. All right, let's uh, read beginning in verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. And I think this is a very important uh, passage of Scripture because Paul takes this from Psalm 95, 7 through 11. And the psalmist there talks about the provocation and the temptation of tempting Christ uh, in in the wilderness. And, of course, these two words, provocation and temptation, uh, are Hebrew words Meribah and Masa. And remember also that uh, this is explained in in, in uh, Exodus chapter 17, 1 through 7. That's what the psalmist is referring to, that time that Israel wandering in the wilderness had no water. And so they began to chide against Moses. As a matter of fact, they got so angry at Moses that they were ready to stone him. And they're complaining and they're bickering uh, that the long-suffering of Moses was being tested and tempted. And they weren't just tempting Moses, they were tempting God because God had told them that he was going to take care of them. And if God had sent them out of Egypt, he was going to provide for them. And they saw that in abundance. In the 40 years in the wilderness, their shoes never wore out, their clothes never wore out. They always had food to eat. They had the manna, they had the quail. God took care of them. He led them by the cloud by day, which uh, restricted the the, uh, exhaustion that they would ordinarily have suffered through heat, Uh, a pillar of fire by night to keep them warmth as a symbol of God's ever presence with them the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness. And notice again what Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2. He says, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and every disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Then Paul says, and then how shall we escape? So Paul is speaking of the word that was spoken by angels as being steadfast. Everyone received the just recompense of their reward for their disobedience. So how much more steadfast is the word that was spoken by Christ, who is God manifest in the flesh? So the Israelites that rebelled in the wilderness, they suffered for their rebellion and their unbelief. So if the Israelites, and us too now, if we choose to rebel against the word of Christ, who is our Savior and Lord, we'll suffer the same fate. We'll receive everything that we've done in our body, whether it be good or whether it be bad. So we can flip that over and say that if we remain faithful to Christ and to His word, then we'll receive all the benefits and blessings that Christ fixes affixes to those who honor him and honor his word. Amen. And notice the reward that the Israelites received. They shall not enter into my rest. Now, rest to the Israelites would have been entering into the promised land. That was the land of rest. We're going to find out that rest in spiritual terms applies specifically to Christ because he says here in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. That's what he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly, and you shall find rest unto your souls." So this is very important. So the rest that Paul is talking about is the rest that we find in Christ. So Christ is willing to give every sinner rest by coming unto him, by receiving new birth, by being adopted into the family of God. We receive rest. Christ is our rest. That's why it's very important for you and I always to place Christ in the center of our being. And I know that there's a lot of things in the world that distract us, sports, entertainment, even television, things of that nature. And if we give all of work, laboring, if we give all of our time and our attention to these things, these distractions, these things in the world, but we don't allow Christ to come into our life. If we don't focus on Him, if we don't focus our rest, the rest of Christ in our daily life, amen, then we stand in danger of being moved and coming into that area of unbelief, which this kind of unbelief that Paul is talking about is obstinate rebellion. And we don't ever want to place ourselves in that kind of position. We need to hold fast to Christ We need to stay close to him. The center of our affection should always always be upon Christ and his word and not on the things of this world. Remember what the Apostle John said. He said, love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, they are in the world and the world passes away. But he that does the will of God will abide forever. Now, notice that last part of that verse and the world passes away. If we become part of that world, we're going to pass away. Amen. The eternity for us is going to be the eternity without Christ and without the Lord. But if we hold fast to him by loving not the world, you you know what I mean when I say love, not the world. That means we place all of our affection upon worldly things. Our affection is to be affixed to Christ and Christ alone. We're in this world, but we're not to be of the world. Amen. Now, Christ receives pleasure by us enjoying life. There's things that we can do in this world. There's there's entertainments, there's recreation, things of that nature that we can do that are wholesome. Amen. That uh, Christ takes pleasure. I remember years ago, uh, I would uh, I, I worked uh, graveyard shift back then, and uh, when I got off, I would drive a few miles and go to a golf course. That was back when I was playing golf. <coughs> And uh, the purpose for which I played was uh, recreation, of course. But what I would do is many times when I would uh, play on this course, I'd be the only one out there. And so I would tee off and I would walk the fairways. But the entire time that I walked the fairways, I would pray. And I did that for nine holes. Sometimes I would play nine. Most of the time it would just be nine holes. Sometimes it would be 18 holes. You know, and I would fellowship with God and I would just enjoy him. And I would I would remember that many times walking down that fairway, I sensed his presence almost like he was walking with me. Oh, I tell you, that was a joyous time. That was such a wonderful time. Amen. See, here I was. I was enjoying recreation, but I was enjoying recreation while at the same time I was in the very center of Christ, worshiping him, staying close to him in prayer. And so God allows us to enjoy recreation in times of rest and getting off and getting away and enjoying family, enjoying friends, amen, but not at the expense of having Christ in the center of our life, amen. We can do those things as long as Christ remains uh, at the center of all that we do. But now verse 12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in, notice that, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, and departing from the living God. Notice this, that there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. See, this transcends now just uh, doubting in the mind, reasoning in the mind. This is something Paul is talking about here. This is something that comes out of the heart, and that's a very dangerous position to be in. Amen. As a matter of fact, the the word, uh, the phrase evil heart comes from the Greek word ponera, and it means to be evil or to be wicked. An evil heart, a wicked heart. And of course, the, the word unbelief comes from the Greek word apistia, and it means faithfulness, which leads to obstinate rebellion and disobedience. And see, this kind of unbelief now, notice what Paul says here. It departs from the living God. So this type of unbelief is not due to ignorance. There's a lot of unbelief that is in our life, and it's just due because of ignorance. We're just not aware of the will of God in certain areas. This is not this kind of unbelief. This kind of unbelief is obstinate rebellion. It's understanding the will of God, knowing that clearly, but refusing and rebelling against uh, that will. And notice that... uh, Robertson writes this "In departing from the living God. He means in falling away from the living God. This speaks of apostasy. And this is exactly what happened to the children of Israel. They were so obstinate in their rebellion against God. They asked actually they apostatized. Amen. And of course, this word apostasy, it means or this word fall away. It means to stand off from. It means to step aside from. Amen. And so to apostatize from Christ, in whom we have originally found God, is to fall away. And remember when, when Paul was writing to the, the, uh, the churches in Galatia, you remember how Paul said that, uh, that you have fallen from grace? You and I, we can fall from grace, This is what apostasy is. It's falling from grace. It's turning aside, turning away from Christ and following him no more. Uh, The 70 disciples that turned away from Christ and refused to follow him anymore. They apostatized, you see, and they lost out on the promise of Christ. And so we can't find ourselves in doing this thing. Now, verse 13 says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened Through the deceitfulness of sin, to be hardened through the deceitfulness of sins. In other words, to be hardened means to no longer consider Christ to be in the center of our life, not to desire him, not to desire church, not to desire the things of God. We have been deceived. We've been sold under sin, just like Eve was deceived. Amen. We can't be caught in that type of situation. Amen. Because that is Very dangerous, very dangerous. So how do we make sure that we do not become hardened through sin? Well, I think we've talked about that, but here's some practical ideas. Number one, spend every time, every day, daily, reading and meditating the Word of God. We can listen to the audio Bible and we can meditate on the Word of God. Also, we must develop a daily prayer life. Amen. Well, how do we do that? Well, we develop a daily prayer life by taking all the prayers in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, and making making them in the first person singular and by saying them out loud prayerfully to God. Amen. I tell you what, that will develop a prayer life when we become word-minded people. And then the third thing is that we... <clears throat> We are to seek continual fellowship with other believers who are firmly and fully fully consecrated to uh, the Lord. Now, there's some folks in church. I'll just be honest with you. I found in the past I cannot fellowship with them because they're just not in an area spiritually where I can fellowship with them. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with fellow Christians. We'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about football. We'll talk about sports. We'll talk about all these things. But when I bring the word of God into subject, there's dead silence. And why is that? Because they have spent no time refreshing themselves. It's not interesting to them. They're not interested in that. Thank God that Christ is their savior. But friends, That's a very low level of carnal living in Christ. We need to be spirit filled, filled with the spirit. And so we need to seek continual fellowship with other, other believers that are fully consecrated to the Lord. And the fourth thing, we are not to forsake worship services in church. If you think you can be just as good a Christian and not go to church, you have deceived yourself. You have been deceived through the deceitfulness of sin. You get yourself in church service. Amen. You find a church where you enjoy the worship and get under somebody that teaches the Word of God. Amen. And don't forsake that. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Even in Paul's day, there were Jews that quit going to Christian worship services because they wanted to go back. They were leaning back towards Judaism. And when they did that, and when they do that, they fall from grace. So don't you be one of those. Amen. Now, there's another word here that I want us to bring in. Notice it says here and uh, going back to Hebrews chapter three and verse one, it says to consider the Lord. Consider him. What does that mean? That means to perceive. It means to remark. It means to observe. It means to understand. It means to consider attentively. It means to fix one eyes or mind upon. Amen. And I I want to read this quote from William Barclay in his daily Bible study series. It's in the book of Hebrews. Notice what it says. If we are ever going to learn Christian truth, a lackluster, disinterested, detached glance is never enough. There must be a concentrated gaze in which we gird up the loins of the mind in a determined effort to see its meaning for us. Amen. I think that is so true. It was true back then, it's true today. Alright, verse 14. We're going to finish out this uh this chapter. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believe not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. This is the danger of unbelief that Paul is talking about. It's an unpersuadableness. But now listen to this. Victorious Christians do not seek for and they do not walk after the world. They walk in faith, completely trusting their Savior Jesus, leaning upon the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's you and that's me. Amen. Heavenly Father, bless the ministry of the Word today into our hearts and help us, Lord, to apply it to our everyday living. And we'll give you the praise and honor and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ,